PRN, Pause, Renew, Next, a podcast about soul care, scripture, and stories of faith. I'm Jenny Detweiler, and you guys, as you can tell from today's intro music, today is a guest interview. We haven't had any guest interviews in a few weeks while we've been doing this attachment series. Oh, but today's episode is so good. I cannot say enough great things about today's guests. It was a joy to have Jeffrey and Amy Ulrich on the podcast to talk about their book, The Six Needs of Every Child, Empowering Parents and Kids Through the Science of Connection. Jeffrey's background is in attachment research, and he has so much wisdom to share. He and Amy live in New Zealand, and they have three boys. The information in their book and what they share on today's podcast is so helpful, relevant, scientifically based, but also grace-filled. It's so good, you guys. I cannot wait to share this episode with you. Now, because we had so many things to talk about, I cannot fit it all into one podcast. So actually, this is going to be a two-parter. And believe me, you're going to want to come back for the second part. So with that, let's jump into the conversation. Well, Jeffrey and Amy, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I feel really honored. Do you guys want to introduce yourselves and tell people a little bit about you, your family, what you do? Absolutely. Uh, So I'm Jeffrey, my wife, Amy, and uh, we have three boys. We live in New Zealand. We've we've lived here for five years, originally from the East Coast of the United States. But um, we moved here because it's a beautiful place and we wanted to give our boys a sense of the bigger world. and to be in places where maybe they were, you know, the the, the immigrant, the person who is, um, you know, everyone put it. The stranger. Uh, the stranger. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, I love to fish. So it's a beautiful country. And um, yeah, we are really loving it. Yeah. And uh, just I also want to say thank you for having us. We are just really grateful for this opportunity to talk to you and your listeners. And again, I'm Amy. And um yeah, just I'm an author and a techie. You, said, you mentioned that your husband was a techie, and I just really resonate with that because I like to get in the weeds. And so Jeffrey is a psychologist, and I, as an author and kind of like to put things together, um, just decided, well, let's just keep exploring. Let's keep just figuring out what we can build together. And that's kind of what brings us here. I love that. So we are going to get into some really deep stuff today, some attachment stuff all about your book. But before we do that, you guys are the first people I've ever talked to on this podcast from New Zealand. So I just need to spotlight that for a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and so so I feel like we should throw out some fun facts about New Zealand because it's such a gorgeous place. So Aotearoa is the um, indigenous name, the Maori name of New Zealand, and it's called Land of the Long White Cloud. And if you look out at the sky, you just see these beautiful clouds. But it's such a reminder... um, just of God's glory everywhere we go and how we're connected just by these things that, that pull us together. But if anyone out there listening, or if you ever want to come to New Zealand, highly recommend it. We've really loved it here. That is so cool. So I think everybody thinks Lord of the Rings, you know, and all the beautiful landscapes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what I think of when I, we actually live in a, we, we live where they filmed um, the Shire. Wow. Yes. So <laughs> we live in the Shire. That's amazing. That is very cool. <laughs> yes. Can I just ask what took you guys there? Well, we really, I had traveled a lot. I used to work for a relief and development organization with, for hunger issues and I traveled a lot and we always thought we wanted our 
kids to explore the world or to see that, you know, that how big the world is. And then when our oldest was 13, we realized, gosh, if we don't go now, we're never going to go together as a family. And a colleague of Jeffrey's who had been in a practice uh, with, who had been part of a practice that Jeffrey joined later, had moved to New Zealand and loved it. And it was one of those marriage moments where you look at each other and think, are we going to do this? Like at first you're just talking like, oh, that would be interesting. And then one day, are we actually going to do this? And then we did. Um, And so it's interesting. Our 19-year-old is now at university in Auckland in New Zealand. So we're starting to feel a bit rooted here. We've been here about six years now. That's amazing. That's very cool. I just think it's cool that I get to talk to somebody in New Zealand. I would love to visit there one day. It's on my bucket list. (laughs) It sounds beautiful. Oh, good. Yes, you have to make it. Okay. So Jeffrey, I think I told you before the podcast, but we've been talking about attachment on my podcast. And actually, I'll tell you how I found you. I was listening to Attached to the Invisible with Crispin Mayfield a couple of years ago. Mm. And of all the episodes, the one where he interviewed you, I kept coming back to, I think I listened to it three times. And I thought, that is so good. About the third time, I'm like, oh, he has a book. I should probably go read that. So (laughs) I went and got your book and read it. I love it. It's got such helpful information. But you talk a lot about being an attachment researcher. And I wondered if you could tell us what you what you've done as far as research goes and what your background is with that. Yeah. Well, let me say first of all, because I've listened to your uh, to previous episodes introducing attachment, and you've done a wonderful job of communicating concise <laughs> language uh, what attachment is. And that was always the challenge with attachment research. Because as you stated, I think in the first episode, it's it's really a science that goes back to uh, the post World War II era. That's a long time ago, and it was all you know. It was always a challenge for the researchers to make that information, what they learned about human development, child development, uh, human thriving, to the masses, so to speak, um, to make it actionable. Uh, and I was a part of that. I'm a part of that sort of family tree of researchers. So you mentioned Mary Ainsworth, um, who worked with John Bowlby in developing the strange situation. So you even mentioned her work at Johns Hopkins, and that's where my um, advisor, he was her first um, student. Uh, and so he was on that research team. Uh, and so I became interested in attachment in college, the University of Miami in Florida and was told, you need to go work with Bob Marvin, who was a student of Mary Ainsworth, because she was retired at that time. So uh, Dr. Marvin was working on a huge um, national uh, study in the UK um, post the fall of the Romanian dictatorship in the 1980s. Um, And there was a huge influx of um, orphans into the um, into to the UK, and they wanted to track those kids and see how they were adjusting because those that cohort of kids. It's if you do a his, history search or Wikipedia search on the Sudescu uh, regime, it was horrific. So they literally warehoused children, gypsies, um, out groups in hospitals that had barely were meeting basic needs. Children weren't given uh, caregivers. They would just rotate workers to um, feed them. 
Uh, they'd be in chain cribs, really horrific stuff. So as you can imagine, you can learn a lot from abnormal development um, about what thriving, what's required for thriving, because you look in situations where there wasn't those conditions, those needs being met, uh, and you try and make sense of what was missing and what mattered. So uh, long story short, I joined that team, and my role on that research team was to help identify what the caregivers, those UK moms and dads, were doing with these kids and how that was going for them. Uh, so most of the research and attachment focuses on what the kid is doing. And that's really important to understand, like what's, what's going on with uh, the infant or the child? Well, but it's a dance. And I think you talked about that as well. And so what's had been less studied is, well, what's going on the other side of the dance? And presumably what's going on the other side of the dance, what we as mothers or fathers are doing with our children is providing some set of needs that allows them to form a certain kind of attachment or a certain kind of dance. And Ainsworth described those different kinds of dances, the secure dance, the avoidant dance, the ambivalent dance, and ultimately a disorganized dance, which has different versions of that as well, which Mary Main described. So, but my piece was that parenting piece. It's what's going on. How can we describe what are the parents doing and how does that relate most importantly to the kids who turn out secure in their attachments? So that was my research. And it was exciting to discover that there are ways that parents can enter into even the most difficult situations and specific things that we can do to help our kids to move them towards thriving, right? That's some pretty groundbreaking research to figure out. Okay, the and we can name and you spent he our our first years in March. So we we met when I was in undergrad and he was in graduate school at UVA, and um and so we just talked about this and talked about this and then he gets his uh, moves into his postdoc and he's spending hours and hours and hours coding uh, videotape interactions between these parents, these adoptive parents and their kids. And just we, um, for my untrained eye, I'm looking at very overt things like how parents interact, the words that are used, whatever. And you're studying facial expressions. Is there a little smile? Um, is it reciprocated? Do, do, do kids glance away when the mom or the dad walks into the room? So I just think it was, for me, it was fascinating to be on that side of it before we had kids at all, watching him get into the meat of what does it really mean? to be somebody who in a whole embodied way reaches out to help my kid move to health and thriving. Yeah. And you guys talk about that in a beautiful way, a really easy to understand way, I think, in your book. So tell me what led you guys to write this book together, The Six Needs of Every Child. Well, I think it's that thing we were talking about before. I was frustrated as somebody who was a researcher, but also eventually a parent and a therapist um, and wanting parents to have actionable information to support their kids thriving. Uh, that wasn't just um, the, the latest fad, you know, um, fad, faddish kind of parenting approaches. Uh, and there just weren't good resources at that time. This is 
10, 15 years ago. And so it was, well, well, maybe I could translate. You know, there's the researchers who write those really dense books on attachment that you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do with this. It sounds really cool. Uh, and then there were therapists who weren't necessarily immersed in the research and they're just making the best sense of they can. And I wanted to bridge that gap. And the funny thing is I feel like all of the parents listening will just laugh with me at this is we started out writing this book when I think our oldest was, I don't know, super young, four, four. right? And so, but it was really based on the research, right? And I look back and I think, what what in the world were we thinking that we might be able to write a parenting book? But again, based on the research, it might have been okay. But then we just started getting in the weeds. You know, we have another little boy and then we have another little boy. There's no time to do anything. We're just surviving. And yet, so all these re, all these theoretical things that we knew were helpful were kind of in the weeds in our own houses. It did not make it perfect by any means, but it certainly made it so much easier to repair when things went bad, right? It certainly made it easier to have some direction for what to do. But again, so we had started off with this idea of, oh, I, I'm just going to support Jeffrey or, you know, Jeffrey will write this book and it'll be a research book. And then we look at each other years later and we say, oh no, this is something that we should write together because this is something that um, really we need a mom talking about what it feels like, yes. right? <laughs> because sometimes I find, I feel a lot of shame when I read parenting books. I feel a lot of feelings of inadequacy or gosh, I really let my kids down there or, oh, think about those years that I, <laughs> that I misspent. I mean, I can get pretty harsh on myself as I talk about in the book. And I think a lot of us do. Yeah. I think it, it's it's very difficult yeah. um, in this day and age to be a parent. So when we came back to the writing, we came back to the research, we thought, well, the research still stands, but how do we bring our humanity into this? How do we bring grace and faith in a way that we we pray really lifts? Yeah, and it's relatable, mm -hmm. you know, because even the best therapist books tend to focus on, you know, case study or it's it that's a lot different than talking about how you've lived something. Mm -hmm. um, and Amy has a beautiful voice in describing what it is like to live this theory. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, you know, in real life, raising, raising children. And we, at the end of the day, we wanted to write something that parents could relate to and not experience shame, like they're doing something wrong and they need to correct it, but could have grace, enter into the grace of, which I think attachment offers us a graced framed way of looking at parenting. There's perfect, perfection is not what's required. It's about recovering, recognizing where you've gotten lost and having some roadmap to get back on track, which mm -hmm. to me is the gospel. That's, that's what Jesus offers, offers us is not condemnation for how we've taken a misstep, but always the invitation to, oh, you're lost. Let's, let's find our way back. So we wanted to write a book that could communicate that. Mm -hmm. That's beautifully said. So I just want to make a notation along those lines. I think it's your intro, maybe, of your book. I started listening to an audiobook, and then I bought it so I could see it, because I felt like parts of it maybe I need to see, especially the compass. <laughs> um, but I listened to the very beginning, your intro, and it said something along the lines of, which I've now adapted, and I'm using in my office, and at a talk I gave last week for self-care for moms, <laughs> that 
Just be aware if fear shows up, if anger shows up, if shame shows up, let's just ask it to move aside and just get curious. You said that so beautifully. And I think that was such a a great invitation to open a book about parenting because I I have had some hard times in parenting, even though I am a therapist, which sometimes I think actually makes it harder because I know too much. <laughs> so when I mess up, I feel it even bigger, you know. <laughs> right. um, but I really appreciated that. And Amy, I think having your voice was really, really important because, well, I'm, I told you before the podcast, I'm a mom of four boys. So I really felt seen in some of those rupture mm-hmm. and repair moments that you talked about and all the messy messiness of life that shows up when you least expect it and you react and then you think that wasn't that wasn't the right way to have handled that now that I see his little face in the back seat (laughs) (laughs) so I appreciated that oh good oh I'm glad to hear that there's just so much hope and you know Jeffrey you saying that the strength of our relationships is not determined by lack of conflict it's about does conflict happen and then do we Mm -hmm. repair it right if we never test this bond, then is it, it almost is superficial. Like we're really, we have the opportunity to enter into these moments of breakage, but we have to be brave enough to put our own fear aside. You're right. We have to be brave enough mm-hmm. to not shut down at, at our mm-hmm. own feelings of failure. And that's not nothing. Mm. So will you guys share a little bit about, not a little bit, take as long as you want really to outline the six needs <laughs> <laughs> that you talk about in your book? Yeah, sure. Um, so you, I'll reference your listeners. Hopefully, they've they've listened to your previous um, podcast in this series. But the, in the first one, I believe you outlined these sort of baseline um, concept, which forms the basis of attachment, and that is this going out and coming in to this dance that our children are wired. All humans are wired to orient to their primary caregiver and caregivers over time to use them as a base of operations to move out into the world from and to move back toward under certain conditions. And those two conditions are that when you feel safe and loved and protected, you you instinctively get to the business of discovery and exploration and Um, finding out about the world and about yourself in the world. So that's the explore side. And that within that movement away from us, there are a certain set of needs that our children look for, not consciously, subconsciously. Again, it's just inherent from us to be successful, if you will, in, in that exploration. The flip side is, uh, when you're out in the world doing your thing, uh, life comes at you hard. <laughs> you fall down, you skin your knee. Um, things don't go the way you expected. Um, there's pain in the world. Jesus said, you, <laughs> you will have pain and suffering in the world, but I'm always with you. And, and he's, he, I'd say he's, he's hat-tipping the draw near, the, the, the part of our design, which is in that moment, uh, it can't be avoided pain, but we are wired to turn to someone in the midst of that pain or suffering, whatever the suffering looks like. And that can be just frustration that it's not going the way I want. And that there's certain needs that we're wired to um, receive in that moment when 
it's hard and painful and scary and all those uncomfortable emotions that we feel. And that if there is a person who is there uh, with us in that moment, then the storm passes and we move back out to the explorer side. And so the six needs are centered around those two movements in this human dance, this human relationship, which we've called attachment. So, Yeah. I wish that people could see the compass that you've drawn, because I think that's why I needed to go get the book so I could see it and keep referencing. It's really helpful to do it. I'm a, I'm a good listener. I like to listen, but there's something about seeing it that's yeah. really helpful. So yeah. I'm going to put a picture of it on today's show notes in case anybody wants to come and look. Oh, good. Right. That's great. And right. And Hopefully so they go out and get the book too. Um, it's thank you. And I think it's so important to be able to visualize it too. It's helpful to me, this going out. So when we go out to explore the world, we need delight, support, and boundaries. We need our, our, you know, what we like to say is that the journey begins with delight. Like the journey begins with understanding that it's not about what I do, but it's about who I am, right? It's the sense that I think it's a pretty pivotal question that we enter into parenting very, um, it's like a default question that we ask ourselves, what do I do with this child? What do I do? What do I do? Because we live in a society that's a lot about achievement, right? <laughs> How do I get this right? Yeah. Performance and achievement, mm-hmm. right? And so it's like, if we can tran- if we can transform that question to how shall I be with this child, this particular person, gifted into my life, right? How shall I be right here, right now? Look at this person. Well, then what we realize is it really all begins with delighting them, seeing them, saying you are a gift, right? And that's why for the explore, when we're going out to explore the world, really what our kids need for us more from us more than anything is the sense of delight in themselves. And that to me, growing up in a, um, with parents who loved me deeply, but were on a, on a different, we're, we're handed different parenting tools. They were handed different parenting tools, parenting tools that said obedience first, boundaries first, all of that. That triggers a lot of fear in parents when you have that. So it felt like a gift to me. I remember sitting at a workshop that Jeffrey was doing before we even had kids. And, um, and he was saying that this journey of kids' health and security begins with feeling delight in them. And told the story of uh, of Jesus getting baptized before he had done anything, before he'd done any of the, you know, like no one was raised from the dead. No eyes were opened. You know, he had not gone to the cross. And yet the dove, the spirit of God descends on him like a dove and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I see you and I love you. Right. And I just started weeping in this seminar. And I thought, could I, could that be true? Could that be true that I am just love just for being me? And so that when I take my own particular wiring into my relationships with my kids and I realize I am wired to first get things under control, (laughs) first make sure we look okay to the neighbors, first do whatever it is, you know, Um, if I say, wait a second, that's not actually what my kids need. My kids need me to just look at them with love and say, I love you and I'm glad that you're here. That doesn't mean that then we don't move right, you know, don't also part of explorers also support. You also have to learn to read. Like just because I love you doesn't mean that we <laughs> that we don't have these specific things that need to happen to get through life, right? We're going to do those things. So support so delight moves into support, which is another side on the explore side. And then when they run and, you know, they push too hard as all kids do, right? They have a need for boundaries. 
boundaries is also part of explore because to be able to go out into the world safely, you have to know when to stop. So all of those three, right, is part of this explore side. And then, then when they are coming back to us, when things get hard, as they inevitably do, that's when we start to move into these other three needs, which is protection. Our kids need us to protect. That's a tricky one in today's world. Yeah. Protection is a tricky yes, one. Like we think that, okay, our kids need protection. I can do that. Like I can mama bear it up, right? But what happens is sometimes we overprotect because we are, there's a lot to feel scared of. It goes back to that, it goes back to those feelings of fear. So how do we balance? I mean, it's a whole long conversation in the book. Like we could talk about that for a whole episode. Just like, how do we balance? When do we step in and protect? When do we say, okay, they actually need to be able to take some risks to, de- to develop the autonomy? And then once they're, you know, once they're safe, once they're protected, making space for them to be comforted, which is another side of this drawing near. Okay, then we have to stop. And you told me you might want to talk about comfort because this was so groundbreaking to me. Yeah, I'm, the, the aspect of comfort is probably the one you know, I do seminars and we talk to, to, to parents, um, and in therapy, you, you run into the most difficulty with it, especially if you come from a certain attachment history where you didn't receive comfort. Cause, um, I, you know, I think it's, uh, Colossians where, where Peter says, uh, that comfort comes from God and, and that, it is with the comfort that we receive that we are able to comfort others. Mm-hmm. And that's really telling from a, you know, from somebody who sits with a research perspective and observes how this works, you go, oh yeah, that makes complete sense. We don't know how to comfort, but that it's happened to us. Um, and that could be said of other things too, like delight as well. Most folks who struggle with delight, it's because they haven't experienced delight. You experience it, and then you're able to do it. Um, and delight and comfort are those two aspects of um, this whole movement, the going out and coming back, that are we call aligned in the sense that they are mirror needs. They're, they're needs that that really center on being seen and our children being able to see that they are seen. (laughs) Mm -hmm. With delight, it's you see what brings me joy. You see my natural inclination toward dancing, singing, digging in the dirt, and you don't have to control that. You just receive it, like we talk about as a gift, and you reflect that back. You You express it. It's like the dove descending on Jesus, declaring, I see you, you, you bring me pleasure without mm-hmm. me having to shape it and shift it and tell you, yeah, but do it this way or, you know, pull back on that. It's unconditional love. And comfort is just the, it's the flip coin of that, which is, and when you're in pain, I'm not going to try and manipulate that either. I'm just going to sit with you, reflect back to you. I see the pain you're in and be still and be with you. <laughs> and it's really hard because we are hard. wired to feel when our kids are in pain, we're in pain. Like we're wired. Mm-hmm. Attachment is like an invisible thread that pulls yeah. us together. And so I feel sometimes physical pain when my mm-hmm. kids are 
So it's completely Especially emotionally. Hard. Yeah, it's completely natural. Like we got to get out of here. There's pain. We're getting yeah. out. Let's fix <laughs> it. What are we going to do? <laughs> let's fix it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um and at the end of the day, that's a missed opportunity. Um and again, because we don't want parents to feel shame, most people will immediately resonate with like, "Oh yeah, I probably do that. Have I ruined my kid?" That's not the issue. The issue is just to become aware of, oh, yes, that's a more uncomfortable space for me. But it it doesn't negate the fact that it is a God-given need that we all have to be able to experience pain and to and and to have someone sit with us in the midst of our pain mm-hmm. and wait for the storm to pass. And it's actually in the being with in the midst of pain that helps the storm pass. That's what People don't realize if they, sometimes that's all that's required is just being present. Um, And then the bonus of that is that once that storm passes for our children, that's when they're open to understanding and learning from the pain. Whereas most of us, if you're uncomfortable with comfort, you jump to trying to understand and fix, except that neurologically speaking, we don't receive the word <laughs> when we're in the midst of the distress. Right. And, right. and if the word matters, and very often what we, what we have to say, what we, you know, what we have to teach our children is important for their development. That's, it's not that that's invaluable, not valuable. It, it's that we want our children to receive that word that instruction, that lesson, that insight, whatever you want to call it. But that's the sixth need. That's equipping. That's the piece where we transition from the storm is passing. Let's look at this together. What was going on? What happened? What, how do we find a way forward? So mm-hmm. it's not just there are these six needs, but it's part of it is recognizing the interplay between the six needs. And learning to recognize, oh, this is a comfort moment. I've just rushed over to equipping too quick. No wonder it's not working. My kid's not settling down. And the compass was really designed with that idea in men, almost that, that, um, that physicalness. Like when we're having these interactions, we're always trying to move. <laughs> so we're moving somewhere. Like life is moving forward. I want to go this way. You want to go that way. And that tension that exists when we're going in opposite directions. And, and, and sometimes it's just helpful to have some options to turn in, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes it's just helpful to know. And that's what I'm going to hold up this. I know that your listeners can't see it, but so I, re- I hope that, I hope that people will look at it because I think it's helpful to have a tool to think, where am I stuck? And also, if you look at the graphic that's going to be on your website, um, look, look carefully at the needle. Um, so the compass dial, because we've divided it in two and often you and your kids are going to have, we're, you're going to want to move in different needs. You're going to want to move in a need based on your wiring. The first three to five years of your life are so essentially important, wiring you to um, needs that were met very well or not met at all. So you might have just an instinctive pull to go in one direction. And then your child's going to have a pull maybe to a completely different direction. And so that means that you're misaligned, right? So for Mm -hmm. an example would be, I just think about 
one of our kids was in, it was bedtime and our kid was like absolutely freaking out, like would not calm down, screaming. And my desire was silence, (laughs) right? And so my, and my wiring says what he needs is boundaries, you know, silence, (laughs) enforced silence. Well, we know that's not going to work. Like even if, or if it worked, it would have to be so extreme, right? It would, I would have to be such a, an overly set boundary, right? So, so I thought, okay, what do we do? And you were, I was, I just think about this one night. You were so tired. You're like, you take it. I said, I think he needs comfort. I think he needs comfort. I think this might be what's going on because we didn't know what else was going. We, we couldn't tell. Um, so I just went and sometimes comfort is silent because in my mind, I'm just like, I'm so tired. I just want to go to bed. I have no words. Um, so I just lay next to this like screaming little guy. And after, I don't know, it was a really long time, 15, 20 minutes. He starts crying and crying and crying and telling me about something that happened at school that day that was pretty upsetting. And then I just, we just hugged for a long time and then he fell asleep. And I thought my, again, like my arrow pointer was boundaries, Mm -hmm. right? There's nothing wrong with that. Like we all have arrow pointers that go in certain ways. What I hope the compass does is think, I wonder where his arrow pointer is going. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and let's get curious about the re- the direction he might be. What need does he re- need right now? And let's try it. And if it goes terribly badly, who cares? Like, it's yeah. already going badly, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and the good thing, <laughs> and the good thing is that you can try the different directions again. Like, this is not. We're just mm-hmm. trying to live life together. We're just trying to love one another, right? We're trying to yes. grow these people into. We're trying to grow these people well. And uh, and I'll say one last thing on that too. It, people, they when they are trying to make sense of these different needs, and it's not that uh, how do you put it? It's mutually exclusive. Like, so what you're telling me is I just have to comfort my kid. And that means I have to throw boundaries out out the window, and that's not that's not it. It's that comfort first, then we can move back to boundaries. Right. It's, Get it's your, your needle pointer in a line. Get aligned first. Yeah. And then, and then, and then move, then you can move the needle back to other needs that also are present still. Like you needed comfort first, but now that you're comforted, we're going to address the fact that you were screaming at me that I hate you and punching holes in walls, whatever it was, you know, something that that's, that's not going to be tolerable. So when you're, when you're that distressed, I'm going to give you some other options for that. And you need to implement those options instead of, what 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 just happened there so that's a boundary mm-hmm. that's you know we're not going to keep doing that now it's still maybe a question whether it's in your child's capacity to shift to a more healthy boundary when under distress but i really want parents to understand that choosing to move in a different direction that's not your first instinct doesn't mean you um, abandon the need that comes to mind first or that is instinctive. Mm-hmm. All these needs matter. They're, they're all important for our children. Often it's just that our, our rhythm is off. <laughs> mm-hmm. we've, 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 and, and then we're fighting each other and doubling down on the thing that is first of mind here. And your kid now doubles down <laughs> and, and now we're at an impasse or we make things worse. So we And that's just, why I think the long the long view you yeah. always talk so much about the yeah. long view that really matters too. Like we are we show our children our children gradually learn um to calm themselves down, to show respect 
by doing all these things that we want them to do over time when we model that for them, when mm-hmm. we show them how to do that. And that might not happen the day after. Like you, there are periods <laughs> of difficult times, right? There are periods. But, you know, I found these different developmental stages with our own boys, like 16 plus really, it was like we were in a completely different developmental stage where a significant amount of logic clicked in. <laughs> and it was just this like, <gasps> I mean, just a real joyful time. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's like there are things that they just developmentally can't do. It's They just can't do them. Their brains are coming online and we cu- we're like the scaffolding. We are the scaffolding around them. Right. But it is very easy to let your own scaffolding fold. So I think, you know, this is not exactly on topic with the parenting and the six needs, but I think the six needs are true for all of us as well. Yes. Right? If we really are in such a difficult place, we need to, am I, do, do I have the delight that I need? Are there things mm-hmm. that I do? Are there places I go where I feel supported? You know, do I have mm-hmm. people who make me feel like I'm okay? You know, and so there's, I think that attachment is true for parents and kids, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually glad that I'm actually glad that you brought that up because in the middle I was thinking that and I was like, I wonder if I should ask about that. <laughs> hmm. Um, because I I mean, I know that it is applicable, maybe not the way that you talked about it in the book, but throughout our lives there are times that we need to draw near. And when we feel safe, we go out and explore again. Even when we're That's adults right. with our safe relationships, we do that. So That's right. And yeah. it's what does it mean to be human? Yeah. Right. Exactly. With our spouses, with our best friends, with the Lord. There are lots of yeah. places where we do that. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope that also the compass can be something that helps us in our with our partners, right? Mm-hmm. Whoever your parenting partner might be, your spouse or parenting partner. Recognize that you might have different ways of coming into relationship with your kids. But just like all six needs are important, like I can really value where he weighs some of his value for the needs, right? Like he might take a lot of time. Well, we're kind of similar in different ways, but you know, like I might really want to delight and he's really, uh, you know, he's an equipper. So mm-hmm. instead of being like, well, my way's right and his way's wrong, it's like, oh, I see how we are weighted differently on this. And I value that because they're all equally important to our children's health. Yes. Okay. There's so much more that we want to talk about that I'm going to cut us off right here and continue this conversation in next week's episode. So I hope you guys will all come back for the second part of this episode because there's a lot of good stuff coming our way. Oh, you guys, don't you just love them? I know I loved that conversation, and I'm guessing it was really helpful for you guys, too. Jeffrey and Amy, thank you so much for being on today's podcast episode. It was such a joy to talk to you, too. And friends, if you liked this episode, please come back for next week's episode, especially if you could use some encouragement in this season of parenting. Next week's episode is especially full of grace and encouragement. If you're interested in knowing more about Jeffrey and Amy, I will link to where you can find their book as well as their website, and I'll have a picture of the compass we talked about on today's episode in today's show notes. And as always, you know you can find me on Facebook or Instagram at pauserenewnext, and you can find any previous PRN episodes on any podcasting app or at the website pauserenewnext.com. 
If you enjoyed today's episode, please share it with a friend. I love word of mouth or over social media. However you want to share, I would so appreciate it. This information is so helpful, and I know there are a lot of parents out there who could benefit. Well, that's all for today's podcast episode. I'm Jenny Detweiler with PRN. Pause, renew, next. May you be encouraged on your journey with Jesus. Jesus.